Yeah, right. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to do a soft open, and then I'm going to cut to you, introduce you, and we'll get right into it. You can literally say whatever you want. Cool. I talk all the Improv's time. this thing anyways. Exactly. Right. All right. Ready? Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are rolling into another episode of The Candace Owens Show. Many of you who follow me know that I was definitely probably the first person who spoke out against the Me Too movement. Uh, when the Me Too movement started trending on Twitter, both the left and the right thought that this was a protected space and a conversation, a platform for, for women to come out and speak about sexual assaults in the past. Now, I immediately spoke out against it, not because I think it's a good thing when women are sexually assaulted, not because I think it's a good thing if women are raped, but because I also think it is a bad thing if men are accused of crimes and, and forced to deal with the penalties of those crimes without due process. What I saw really trending on Twitter was a bunch of women saying things happened and these women being applauded and men being castigated uh, without any further exploration into the allegations against them. Now, of course, even though left and right agreed with this when it was trending, we saw the right break away from this, conservatives realizing that it was, in fact, problematic. Uh, when we got to the trial of Brett Kavanaugh, a 30-plus-year-old allegation, zero proof, and yet this man was uh, virtually hung in front of the world. For me as a black American, it was reminiscent of the things that I learned about the civil rights era, uh, when white women could make allegations and simply be believed on the basis of their word, my ancestors got hung. Here to discuss this and more with me, I have comedian Brian Callen. Yes. Welcome to the Candace Owens Show. Thank you. I'm a fan. Thanks for joining. I'm, I'm happy to be here. I'm always happy to have comedians on here uh, because one of the spaces that's definitely under attack is just being able to tell a joke, right? Yeah. And this used to be we needed comedians in the world because comedians actually bring us all closer together. We make They make fun of everyone. Yeah. And then you kind of realize, all right, all right, it's, it's actually funny. We all kind of suck a little bit. You know, we all have our good things and bad things. And now we're suddenly in an era where comedians, they're digging up tweets from 20 years ago. Uh, he he said this word, and now he needs to be canceled. Yeah. Well, art's always. I think good art has always been something that disturbs. You know, especially satire. Satire was always something that rulers were terrified of. Cartoonists, and and you know, I mean, I think there's a lot of power in being able to point out the contradictions in human behavior. And all of us are a walking contradiction to an extent. So, um, you know, Bill Bird went crazy on Saturday Night Live. And you and there were plenty of people saying, you know, I, my whole family walked out when we heard this. Good. It's all good. That's the American way. You have a right to walk out. You have a right to be disturbed. You have a right to say it to boo. But for the most part, what's great about being allowed to just speak your mind, it's called original self-expression. And if you feel like you're going to get in trouble, if you feel like your livelihood is going to be affected by speaking your mind, by who you're making fun of, I think we're all in trouble. Because stand-up is still the last – I really believe stand-up is the last bastion of free speech. I totally agree with you. Yeah. So, so it's incredibly important. Right. We need more of that because it just gets people to think – by the way, it also, it also gets you to kind of lower your guard. Mm. When, I, when a comedian makes fun of my positions, my political positions, my philosophical positions, just who I am as a person, I listen. 
I listen if it's if it's really good. Sometimes it's just too undeniable. Right. And you kind of go, man, I never thought about that when it comes to myself. And it's important to be able to laugh at yourself. And I think that that is the magic when you look at, oh, I mean, I can't imagine George Carlin being able to survive in the society that we have today. Oh, my God. Which just preaches so much political correctness when people like him were just the exact antithesis of political correctness. But that's because every time, even when you use the word political correctness, my feeling is that people that f- – being offended isn't an argument. It just isn't. And as soon as I see people who are professionally outraged, generally outraged, and you know, get, be- get to Twitter and-, and start to freak out, my suspicion is that they just don't have an effective argument to mount against what they intuitively feel is – Offensive. See, because most of the time we're defending not really our, we're defending not so much ourselves even, not even a philosophy. We're defending the people we love, who we grew up with, who indoctrinated us into a certain philosophy. Mm -hmm. These are just ideas, man. Whenever I hear uh, someone talking about uh, power and everything is power. And you hear these academics talking about that. The world is just about – it's just power structures and I'm, I'm tyrannical because obviously I'm a straight white male and I'm at the top of the pyramid and I've got all this honored privilege. I understand. But as soon as I hear those kind when – you're, when you're putting the world into these neat little boxes, well, I know where you – I know who you read. I know I can just see the Austrian school of economics. I can see Mancuso. I can see all the people that you've read. And those are just ideas that were put into your brain and you've held on to. Why? Not so much because they make sense, but because they make you feel safe. Mm -hmm. They make you feel significant and they make you feel virtuous. Right. And people don't like having their safe spaces challenged because it can take away from your self-virtue. That's right, which is why you should go to stand-up comedy. And we can take a hammer and break that little egg that you've been living in. And you might evolve a little bit as a person, whether you're on the right or on the left. Don't don't be so attached to your ideas. Right. And it's funny that you say that because, of course, um, Dave Chappelle came after me in a stand-up He did? Skit. He did. He did. Well, congratulations, by the way, though. Thank because you. Because you're, you're he, part yeah. of the zeitgeist. And, and to be honest, to be honest with you, when I saw it, I didn't actually think the content of what he said was funny. He just was like he sort of wanted to assault me and my lady parts. Um, but as I was trending on Twitter about this and, there, you know, everyone's coming after me waiting for me to be upset – and the first thing I said was, you know, this is Dave Chappelle. He yeah. is saying my name on stage. He's one of the greatest comedians that's ever lived. Yeah. A, it's a compliment, yes, right, it is. Uh, to me. Yes, it and is. And B, I've spent my entire career defending the right for people to say what they want. I, of course, am not going to attack him for saying what he wants. I right. really do believe we need more of this. I'm happy to be offended if we're all ready to be offended. Right. And it just completely shut up the entire – they just didn't know what to do with it because it was sort of this moment where they, they needed me to be offended. And instead I chose to say like that. We need more of that, yeah. you know? Good for you. Yeah. That, that's exactly right. Maybe he got you to think a little bit. Right. It, it's not as though Candace Owens has arrived at the truth. You're working your way through it too. You're asking questions. Do you still read? Are you still open to, to, to conversation? Are you still having your mind changed? My guess right. is probably yes. Right. And that's, the thing is, is what we were disagreeing on was the George Floyd thing. And by the way, I got done with this skit and I still stand by everything I said about George Floyd. In fact, more because then post his skit is when the full tape was released and I felt um, even more audacious in my beliefs. And I knew that I was taking an angle. I tend to upset a lot of people because I don't go with the crowd on perspectives of certain things. Um, 
but he's a comedian. Yeah. You know what I mean? What, what, what are you expecting from him? Like, what, what am I supposed to say? Turn off the TV. This is abhorrent that he would say this. And as a feminist, uh, you know, people need to stand up and defend me. Look, you're, 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 you might be offending a lot of people. You're also emboldening a lot of people. You also make a lot, you also give a lot of people faith because you have guts. You have everybody I know in my family. They, I, they, they, when they found out I was doing the show, they were so excited. And, and I was too, because I think you have a great deal of courage. I, you know, you, you speak your mind. I love watching you on these clips when you're in Congress and things like that, because you're so clear, you're so articulate, and, and you have a point of view, a strong one, and you speak your mind. That's, that may be disturbing. Thank God. Thank God we have dissenting opinion. Right. Because that's very important. That's kind of the point of having Republicans and, de and Democrats. Right. That's, that's almost what the framers wanted, which was government to move slowly. So we had these debates. Do you think there weren't arguments when we were, when they were drafting the Constitution? Do you think there weren't arguments when they were drafting the Bill of Rights? You don't think the people had a point of view and they were fighting it out and they came to a compromise? It's called idea sex. Right. It's what, it's what I talk about in my, it's what I talk about in my special. That's that's the idea. I, I have an idea. You have an idea. They may not be. There's some truth in your idea. Some of some useful um, parts of that idea, and and the same with yours. But we don't have. We haven't figured out the whole thing. Maybe we put our ideas together, and somebody gets pregnant. Do you think? <laughs> I mean, no pun Love intended. That, yeah. <laughs> Do you think comedians are losing their spine a little bit? They're afraid. They're they afraid. are. I'll tell you why. Hmm. Unfortunately, I think everybody's really afraid. I've seen this with my own eyes. I've had very powerful people call me and tell me this because the truth is it's very easy to destroy someone's life and take everything away from them, everything they've worked for. Uh, happened to me and it's happened to a lot of people I know. And it doesn't take any proof. It takes an allegation. It takes a tweet. And, you know, people think when you get fired for a tweet you sent out 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and you were joking around, there is no redemption online. And it's, it's, it's when you have a mortgage and you have children mm. to pay for, you're going to choose that course. You're going to choose to protect your ability to keep that roof over your head, your car payments, and your children in school over an ideology. Mm. So what happens is... We are living in this time where you're not allowed to speak your mind. You're not allowed to get closer to the truth. You better be on one side or you better be very quiet. And now you can't even be quiet. Now with this notion of critical race theory and stuff, even silence is violence, right? Silence. It's just what's going on. There are some very bad ideas out there. Mm. And they're not the ideas that gave us the free society that we have. The only way we move forward is through debate, through the, the exercise of free ideas, and let's see whose idea is best. And, and, you, and that's, that's what's under attack. Yeah. And you know what's really interesting is I was sort of thinking about when did this all start? Because obviously this whole push towards political crisis didn't begin when I became conscious to it. It began long before it. And I was giving a speech the other night, and I was talking about even English words that had real meaning, right? Mm -hmm. We've allowed people to take those words, twist the meaning, and then say that we're not allowed to use those words anymore. And I'll give you a, a perfect example. Um, I'm reading a, a really old book right now called The Immoralist. It's from pre-World War I. Um, and the word faggot is in the book mm -hmm. as it is meant to be, a bundle of sticks, That's right. right? That's what it is. And yet at some point in society, 
you know, the word faggot, a bundle of sticks got taken and got assigned to something it never meant. And now we're no longer allowed to say that word and it gets censored everywhere, which is interesting, right? But what about if it's used in its true context? And I'm reading this book and thinking that. Similarly, for it's always bothered me because I read old books, retarded is a real word right. when something is delayed, right? right? When something is, you know, if you said something and I say that was retarded, it was you, you fired off a response late. Mm. But now at some point, it began to mean that you were always referring to somebody that was mentally incapacitated, but this word was a real English word that had meaning. Yeah, I think though sometimes it's those- It's gonna get worse. Maybe, I, well, I, I think there's a larger thing. I think sometimes those words are are hurtful to us to an inflexible minority because they've really paid a price for that, right? right. So I'm old enough to remember when being gay was physically dangerous. It right. just was, man. Yeah. And and you and and people heard that word as they were as they were being booted into the ground. Right. And so when you have a, a group of people who who gay people remember it was it was really I think it was 1993 when when the the notion of homosexuality was no longer considered a a mental. Uh, disorder. Right. I mean, so this is very recent. But so, if you're if you're using the word not as it's meant, but I'm just then saying, of course I'm just, that I, makes I, sense. I, yeah, I just think that with with the AIDS epidemic and with with the amount of violence that gay people did experience, I I, I just I'm old enough to remember this. Right. It was dangerous, and and it was also when you said you were gay, if you were in a job in corporate America, you got fired or you got it. Just I remember it being a real. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that what about the word in its actual context? Different you go story. and take down a tree. Different story. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. So that I just have been sort of thinking about this recently. The actual disappearance of words in their true context. Yeah. I'm not talking about when you see a gay man and you use that word, right? right? I'm talking about these words now have to be stripped yeah. because these words have been taken yeah. and violence has been assigned to them. These words are now being stripped out of, out of, out of just English vocabulary, which is something that I think is fascinating. Um, well, English, remember, language happy, is always changing, though. La language yeah. is always changing, but yeah. words do have meaning, yeah. right? And now, and why I find this to be dangerous, and I agree with you, when it's used in a harmful way and you're talking about homosexual men, it's wrong. Mm. Um but why I find this to be dangerous is now because we're seeing on the left a game where they're taking words that aren't even being used when when you're assaulting a homosexual. No. Words that you're just actually saying and, and they're assigning meaning to it that has never existed. You didn't mean it in that way. And they're trying to use it under the same bubble of thought that you just used when you defended the disappearance of a bundle of sticks, right? It's about it's about power and control, isn't it's it? It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's about getting rid of your enemies. Right. That people you disagree with, see, it's very effective ways to get rid of your, the people you disagree with, the people you think are, are keeping, uh, I suppose, a systematically racist, whatever it might be, society in, in, in place. You can do it with finding out what they said and mounting you know, enough of a an opposition online where the well, corporation, this, this corporations don't want to deal with it. You can't say, for example, all lives matter. Of this course is a not. perfect example. You get fired. Right? So now, You'll get fired. saying all lives matter, so we both agree that what used to mean a bundle of six got used during the 80s during a horrific time and gay people lived through a horrible thing and this word went away, right? Mm -hmm. Now, they're trying to liken that to saying all lives matter and they're firing people, getting rid of people for using the expression all lives matter. These are three English words. Yeah. Nobody who's saying all lives matter means I hope black people die and suffer mm -hmm. at the hands of police officers. But they're now taking that, and this is what ha this is the slippery slope of, of allowing words that have actual meaning to be taken uh, and and by the political correctness gods and interpreted into something that you don't actually mean. I read a book recently by Nassim Nicholas Taleb called Skin in the Game. It's a great book. I recommend it highly. 
And he is a guy who who kind of – he had a very interesting theory about why these narratives are being taken over and enforced on the rest of us. And one of it is that there are – we have experienced a takeover by people who have no skin in the game, that people who can make decisions for the rest of us and not pay a price for when they are wrong. Think about journalists who opine and predict – they can say whatever they want. They can, they can, they, and think about academics who come up with these, these marginalized, these theories that have not been tested. I mean, whether it's white privilege or whatever it might be. Um, critical race theory that goes back to, th- these are, these are, um, narratives that used to be on the fringes of academia, but you have a, you, you have, especially in the social sciences, you've got these academics that are, have been able to purify their echo chamber. They just have – there isn't enough opposition. There isn't any idea sex going on. Mm. I've interviewed – I used to have a podcast. I, I interviewed probably 500 academics, smart people. The orthodoxy and the terror they had of stepping outside of, 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 of what, what was expected of their speech was palpable. It was incredible. And the vast majority of them, if not – if they weren't Marxists, they were at least socialists. And the great God, the great word for them was – was um, equality, mm-hmm. equality. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. How do you learn anything? You can learn things by listening, by observing, and by reading. But there are some things you can only learn by doing. Think about fighting. You can be cage side and call fights for a hundred years. You can predict fights. You can know the fight game. That never means you can take what you know here and put it in your body and get in and slip punches and hit. Right. You you can I could t- I could teach you all you wanted about stand up comedy. The only way to be good at stand-up comedy is by being really bad for a long time. Mm-hmm. You have to learn through the pain of adjustment. The way you catch a ball, you can't read how to catch a ball. The way you do surgery, can you imagine? Can you imagine you're about to go under the knife and the, the surgeon goes, I've read about this. I've, I've, I've watched a bunch of tape. You're my first patient. Oxygen. Yeah, you know, you freak out. So there are people, though, who are in power whether they're foreign policy experts talking about regime change, whether they're academics pushing these narratives on our schools, whether they are politicians who don't pay a price, economic, economists who have an, who've never made a business work, who live in a world of theory, they've never had to learn something at the pain of adjustment. They've actually never had to do something. They've been living in a world of theory. They have a lot of power. They're very articulate. And somehow they've gotten into a position where they can push narratives mm-hmm. on the rest of us. This is all this is all from the book. But it made so much sense. Yeah. And when they're wrong, we spent six trillion dollars in counting on these Middle East wars. Six trillion since 2011. Who's signing those checks? What am I getting for my money? Six trillion. One trillion is six is is a thousand billion. The average person is alive for about two and a half billion seconds if you're lucky. I'm just giving you an idea of how much six thousand billion is. That's how much money we've spent in counting. I want to know who is who's accountable and what am I getting for that money? Unfortunately, we are living in a time where I don't think our government represents us. Mm-hmm. Most of us feel powerless. Most of us feel as though we don't have an ability to make a difference. Unless you're someone like Candace Owens, by the way. And I'm not kidding. Because all of a sudden, one of the great things about social media, there's a lot of trappings, but one of the great things about social media is at least there are people like you who get up there and start telling the truth. Right. And guess what? 
a lot of people agree with you and a lot of people listen to you. How interesting. Yeah. Even though Twitter, I'm sure, goes crazy on you, most people are like, she's got a point. Well, we're, yeah, and, and that's why I speak out because I'm realizing more and more what we're seeing, exactly what you're talking about, particularly, I think, the academia um, with this push for political correctness and the perversion of actual American phrases and American words. They can make anything, I mean, they are now saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, the USA chant is racist, right? You get what I'm saying? Like, so, so these things were okay. Now they're not okay. How many words are we going to be a le left with that are okay for us to say when they can look into some deeper meaning? They're making a and huge see mistake. Some, and, and see some oppression. But they're, they're, this is a major overreach, and here's why. Human beings, a lot of us, uh, there are certain things, tradition and the sanctity therein are important they're important parts of our moral palette. Right. They're important parts of our value system. And when you just start tearing down statues or you just start getting rid of the Pledge of Allegiance just willy-nilly because you right. guys have decided, it creates a visceral reaction. God, Merry Christmas. I mean, it's actually what we're seeing right now is an attack on the English language. And, right. I, and, like, and I, and I and constantly values. try to understand and, and I know that I'm awake to it now, but like when exactly did it start? Or maybe it started with something that was genuine, like people realizing that words were being perverted and used to harm people and we would never want that. Like, of course, when if, if you're saying something is delayed or retarded, I would never mean to talk about somebody who has mental disabilities, right? right. So there's us trying to do the right thing because we are good people and mm -hmm. we want to say, if this actually offends people, I don't want to say it. Right. But then some powerful people realized, hey, there's power in that. If we can say it offends people, then we can, you know, right. gain a lot of power and right. say that all of these words are suddenly not okay. Right. And that's where we're, at, where we're at right now in society, this this push and pull of, of, of us wanting to do the right thing, but also now realizing that it doesn't matter what we say, because no matter what we say, we're in trouble and you're in hot water. And this is the space that I see comedians. Well, because, because, because again, and to your point, most of us are living our lives. I got, I got bills. So I, I work in a restaurant. If I'm not trying to run a restaurant, I'm not thinking about race. I'm really not. Right. I need to get good food to my customers and compete with the restaurant over there. Mm. Whatever that takes, I got to do. The last thing I'm thinking about is how racist we are. I, I don't have – most people just don't have the time. Mm -hmm. The people that are coming up with these narratives have the time to sit around and think about I it. Agree. They're not actually doing the work. They're not – they don't have – I'm sorry, but they don't have – real jobs. One of the things I thought was great about this book, Skin in the Game, is he says, I wonder how many Hollywood celebrities and how many academics and how many economists, how many politicians preaching economic and social equality mm. actually have friends that work with their hands. How many people at your table, at your dinner table, do you invite who are landscapers and plumbers and carpenters? Just a question. Just a question. And, you know, even Sam Harris admitted, and I love that he said, I don't know anybody. I don't think there's anybody in my phone I know who actually even smokes cigarettes. That's a class of people. Yeah. You you know, it, it's very easy to surround yourself with the people, the same people that have read the same books, listened to the same TED Talks, and speak the same language. Right. I think it's very important. And one of the great things about one of the beautiful so things about yes, of course. But intelligence, a component of intelligence is, is experience. It's it, right. <laughs> it's and it's it's doing. Mm -hmm. There's certain things you know as a car mechanic, as a farmer, that I will never know. You know, it's it, and one of the beautiful things about being a stand-up comic and traveling, touring, is I'm around real people. I'm performing for working people who work, who have to pay a babysitter, who deal with, who are dealing with those those essentials. Where they're, the full-time job for them is keeping a roof over their head, car payments, and once in a while they get to go out and, and see a, a stand-up comedian. That's right. a big deal. That's when your feet are on the ground, man. 
you're you're a grounded person. And I think that that is is because of my upbringing. I'm so grateful for it. And I always say that when I was young, I hated being poor. Oh my goodness, if I told you the amount of times, God, why me? God, you know, feeling like God had betrayed me and turned his back on me because I just had this horrible circumstance my whole life. And now I'm where I'm at and I go, thank goodness, thank God that I had to live through struggle, that my parents didn't have anything, that I had to fight, uh, you know, my way out of debt uh, to, to live a, a life, you know, yeah. that I slept on those couches and slept in my car and did all of those things because it does attach me to a reality. And I will say this on both sides of the political aisle, that they, you can see people just completely detached from it completely. Of course. Um, and and that it's, it, it's lived experience that we're talking about. That's where you get your courage, I think. I, I can see that in you. Yeah, because I, I always say, what a sign of remarkable privilege that, like, my granddad had to deal with segregation and I've got to deal with mean tweets. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's a good perspective to have. So people are like, how do you do it this fall? I'm like, I am privileged. You know, well, you said I something to a bunch of them. <laughs> they were protesting something you were talking. And I remember I, I was on YouTube and you said, you guys, it was these bunch of these sort of woke college kids. And most of them, I think, were white. Or, and you said, you guys are more emotional than the people who went through it. Who went through it, were. right. I mean, you guys are, you know. So at UCLA, I remember saying that, and I couldn't believe looking, uh, if you talk to black Americans today, they are so oppressed, and I'm talking about, you know, not every black American, but as a rule, because this Black Lives Matter narrative, and you talk to these, especially in college campuses, where they have this sort of Marxist indoctrination, and they genuinely are speaking like they're living in 1889 America, and they're privileged. Here they are sitting in UCLA, uh, you know, um, and yeah. I just look at you, and I just go, what what an insult to your ancestors and because my grandfather's still breathing i'm just i'm just thinking in my head all the time whenever i think i can get upset or i'm trending on twitter over something i didn't say i'm like what a privilege <laughs> you know yeah, what yeah, i mean yeah. this is the worst part of my life looking at my phone and seeing candace owens i have to read a fake article about me my grandfather you know a fake, article. A fake article about me and people yeah. when people i think it's it's important that we always have that perspective and i mm -hmm. always call a call upon people to whatever you think whenever you think you're having a bad day take it two generations ago in your family yeah and i think <laughs> i think in a lot of ways i'm an optimist and i think that Free speech may be under attack, but it's also having its day. Mm -hmm. Look, nobody is nobody's going to stop you from not only not only speaking your mind, but profiting from it. The fact that you're so popular means that people really appreciate at least your pushback. I love that debate between you and Ti and Killer Mike and all those other people. I, one of my, my favorite things to do is to watch lately um, uh, debates between black conservatives and black liberals. I just like I love because this idea because what we do is we do this monolith. So you have the well the black vote or the or the Asian vote. What are you talking about? Right, they never are you say saying that about that, white people. Are you saying black people agree with each other? <laughs> are you saying that? There's so much diversity of opinion in that community like in every community. Mm -hmm. And so whenever I hear that, I go, oh, you don't spend any time around people like that. You don't have any real friends who are hanging out in that, in that, in that community. Right. So what are you talking about? Because th that's, the, that's where the condescension comes in to right. me. And sometimes it's accidental condescension. Actually, the other day, someone had tweeted to me, I don't understand why Candace doesn't work with blah, 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 a black conservative who believes in this, 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 and that. And I just said, would you ever say that to a white conservative? Like, just because a person is a black conservative, you think that we naturally all 
need to be working together. You don't understand that. Even black conservatives, we have various points, you know, various goals. We're, we're different people. Yes. Well, and we, we've just gone to just think of everybody in terms of these little boxes. Um, and, and it is. It's, it, it, it's, it's suffocating yeah. being a black person because they have just this idea of what you're supposed to think, how you're supposed to feel, who you're supposed to even work with, even if they agree with your perspective. When you say they, it's actually a lot of times it's, it's white people. Yeah. <laughs> it just is. I mean, it is. It's very, I'm sorry. It, it, it's very true. Um, I really want to talk to you about because you unbelievably are probably the closest person I'm going to get to be able to speak to something reminiscent, at least, of the Brett Kavanaugh situation, uh, where you as a comedian had an allegation from 21 years ago. Yeah. And this happened. This is happening in the present right now. Yes, it 21 is. 21 years ago. Mm -hmm. And a young woman... Uh, says something happened 21 years ago. Well, not young, so I mean, not, yeah, now. Was yeah. young, I guess, sure. 21 years sure. ago, and then now uh, made an allegation against you, and wham, mm -hmm. uh, you got canceled. Yes. Everything goes away. Everything goes away. Yeah. Um, overnight, an allegation. Everything, yeah. Ha was it proved? Was there? No. No, no. no. and, and the, the problem is that whenever something like that happens, and it's 21 years old, you the only thing you can do, really, is go, no, I didn't. I, what else are you going to do? No, I didn't. And and what's interesting is that most people say, you know, you just got to – the only way to fight this sometimes, they say, is to just disappear. No. No. I won't. I won't. I know who I am. The people that know me know who I am. And so sometimes you define yourself along the lines of what, what you're willing – you define yourself based on what you're willing to fight for. And by the way, die for sometimes on that hill. Right. You know, I'm sorry to be dramatic, but that's – who are you in, in, in moments of chaos? And, um, and unfortunately, sometimes you just – there's nothing you can do. So I have a that's question. If somebody – and I'm just trying to figure this out of somebody who works with a bunch of other companies. But if somebody made an allegation against me, you know, I'm 31, 21 years ago would be weird. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> can't just can't – when she was 11 years she was old. A, she was a child, but precocious. <laughs> she was an outrageous child, I tell you. But let's say they did this allegation against me, and I get something, and it's 21 years ago, and suddenly Prager you just the next day, they hear the allegation, like, Candace, you're done. Yeah. What is the retribution against companies? With I mean, isn't due process like a part of the American system? Like, is there mm. any retribution when you get when if you get dropped by sponsors, dropped by your show, based on allegations? I've seen this happen. Forgetting forget the Me Too sexual assault stuff. I've seen this happen. Somebody says she was mean to me. And she's a racist, and I've seen people lose all their sponsorships. Or it's a toxic work – they, they, they created a toxic work environment. Yes, with no proof. Even though it's the set of Ellen. You work in a real toxic environment, please, like right. a crab boat or in a coal mine or right. in a chemical factory or a slaughterhouse. <laughs> Would you – I mean, get a little perspective. I'm sure it wasn't that great. I'm sure that there was – but my God, have we lost perspective. We've lost the plot, yeah. But yeah, uh, yes, the, 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 the truth is – what happens with all your sponsors and what happens with anybody who pays your bills is it's it's just too risky. And they just do this. They go, ah, we know, we, 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 we believe, we're with you. But unfortunately, we just, we, we, you know, there are other, we can do, we can just pivot over here. We just have to for now. Right. That's what happens. Man, that's so sad. And there's nothing you can say. You, you, you understand it because, right. because social media is loud. Right. And even it, again, it's an inflexible minority. Yeah. Well, I have to say, oh, credit to PragerU because they have gone through about twenty Candace scandals, that things that never happened, yeah. and they've always held me down. They've been like, "This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard." Like, well, I mean, you're important. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, they, so, yeah. 
Right. And it takes, but it, because PragerU has a spine, you know what I mean? They have a spine and they're not going to sit here and let tw- the Twitterverse dictate yeah. who they work with. Something crazy. Candace is a white supremacist is trending. How weird if like Dennis Prager was My like, favorite thing. hey, Candace, I heard that. Uh, we know you're not really a white supremacist. We got to let you go. We gotta, <laughs> it's, just, it's just not good right now, right. you know? Well, some people are kind of untouchable. Right. And I feel that way about you. Yeah, because I'm black. Yeah, um, although you still get your share of criticism. Although yeah, you're still lambasted for being what you're not. But it's, and again, it that's land because the they, don't have, they don't have an effective argument right. against you. It doesn't you. land the same when they're doing it against a black woman. Yeah. But you're not a black woman. No. Uh, or Damn do you it. identify as the a black woman? still young. I didn't mean to. Yeah. I, do, I do identify as a black woman, but I'm not one. Not one. You're not one. <laughs> you self identify as one. Wait a minute. Yeah, now I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm in, I'm in transition. <laughs> So you have that going on. Why my finger? There's no but, black, why did I, that's not a good impression of a black woman when my finger not, is up like that. No, that's no, ridiculous. No, no, no. You look I like apologize. a New York elitist. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my true colors. Exactly. Um, but because you're a white man, mm. sort of this allegation, they, they so they just sort of say, okay, bye. I'm sorry. We know. We know. But we have to go sort of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I knew right away. There's nothing I, you can do I, about I, it. There's nothing you can do. There just isn't. And, and um, I think um, – there, there's a the, the only thing you can kind of do is keep moving forward, try to try to pivot, try to come up with a. You just have to just keep creating and thinking and um, do do what you did to get yourself to the dance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think Jordan Peterson said the only way out of chaos is to tell the truth. Yeah, and I love that. Mm-hmm. So align yourself with the truth. You know, people know who I am. Right. And the people I care about know who I am. Right. And, and oh, by the way, so do so do any of the women in my life in my past. You know, um, I, I, without going into detail, that 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 was sort of made clear to me too. I said I said to my lawyer and my publicist, I said I need to know that you believe me. Mm. I'm not interested in a hired gun. I want you to know. And then I showed them my sort of evidence, and and that was that was very important to me. Right. You know, I don't want I don't want to be somebody who hires someone who is defending me because I'm paying them because I'm on their team. I'm not interested in that. Right. I, 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 I'm just not. So, but again, sometimes your uh, chaos comes in a form you have no defense for. Right. And I agree with that. To me, I think when I first started speaking out against the Me Too movement, and like I said, was lambasted by both sides, it was just about the truth mm. um, and saying that we there has to be due process. You cannot throw up something on Twitter as an allegation, and somebody should just be able to have their entire lives erased. And I think I've held firm on that because I have defended men on the right and men on the left, you know. Um, and sometimes it's just asking a question or saying, I don't, be- you know, I don't believe this or I'd like to see more information. I could not stand Matt Lauer at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought he was a horrible human being. There's no doubt to me that he was, you know, all powerful and omnipotent when he was on air. Um, but I did, I struggled to believe that he raped a woman, an intern or a producer, whatever it was that worked for him. And then after raping was that, her. Was that the allegation? It, yeah, it was rape. Mm-hmm. Uh, she came out and said rape. And then after the rape, she proceeded to have a consensual affair with him for two months that he took back to his apartment and all these different places. And I said, okay, well, um, listen, I'm not pretending to understand the psychology of rape victims, but I find this to be a bit problematic to believe as somebody who's worked, um, you know, in the business. I understand women who want to climb the ladder. They like powerful men. This is, there's a dynamic between that. Um, and I just wasn't, I didn't want to believe this at face value. And I, and I spoke out, you know, and said, this is a little bit ridiculous. He had, I mean, I have to imagine it wouldn't have been difficult for him to find a woman who wanted to sleep with him. And then the whole idea of, you know, I was raped, but then decided to 
love my rapist and have a, an affair. There should have just been more question marks and the condemnation is, is, is all I'm saying. Well, a think, little bit of due process, but it didn't matter. Yeah, I think that I think there are a couple of thoughts that I have on that. One is that when something, when an allegation is weaponized, mm. um, I don't think it serves the movement itself. I, I think what it does, it creates a, a reign of terror. And, you know, everyone, including people who are whoever they might be who are staunch Me Too advocates and stuff, have brothers and have sons and have husbands. And I think that the, the, that, that's, the that's the larger, I actually think overall, and I've thought about it a lot, I think the, and I've seen it have a positive effect in Hollywood. The Me Too movement is, is positive in many ways because, and I'm saying this as an actor who is in the business for a long time, women had to deal with powerful men in the business and a lot of them behaved well and a lot of them didn't. Mm. And a lot of them didn't even have to think about their impact, about the fact that they were uh, putting pressure on. I know a woman who I who um, interviewed, she's a good friend of mine, interviewed at a large you know corporation before me too. She's very attractive. And the guy uh, the interview went really well, and the guy asked her out. And she knew if she said no, she's not getting the job. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea of women having a whisper network. I like the idea of women for the first time having recourse because it does put men who are problematic on notice. And there are a lot of men in power who are problematic. It's just a fact. Right. You have a lot of a-holes who do what they want, and if there's no consequence— you know, that power, that 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 sort of um, feeling of, of impunity will grow. And mm -hmm. you have people who don't care about your feelings and who will do what they want and will take what they want. Mm -hmm. We know that. And I think so in that sense, I like I'm I'm a I'm a fan of fair play. Mm -hmm. That's why you want to call me a feminist. Whatever. I just like the idea that if you're good for the job, I don't care what you look like and I don't care what your sexuality is. If you're good for the job and you're gonna you're good for my bottom line, I'm hiring you, which right. is why I love commerce and I'm a free market right. capitalist. I just love it. You know, but but for the most part, that's that's where it's good. Where it like any revolution, it will eat its young if you're not careful and if you don't have a way to navigate it's abuse. When the pendulum swings all the way to the side, right. you will have bodies on the side of the road. And the problem with that is, you might say, "Well, that you got some people get burnt by the sun of revolution. It's all good, and it's what it's. It, you got to crack a couple of eggs to make an omelet." Okay, here's the problem with that: you're next, and if you're not next, someone you love is. There needs to be nuance. You'll have there no needs power. To be nuance. It, it seems to me it's it's the pendulums either all the way here or the pendulums all the way That's there. What and Americans what I'm are. saying is, hey a little bit of due process, a little bit of thinking, a little bit of honesty. And I think that my trouble with the Me Too movement is that it just, it lacked honesty. And, and I feel the same way about, by the way, when I talk about black America, I, I, I land on that exact same side where I say we're no longer being honest when we can't talk about the fact that it isn't that difficult to listen to police instructions, right? Right. Let's just start there. You say that people's heads explode. Some people. Yeah. I bet you most people agree with you, including black, white, and Maybe quietly, else. but I'm yeah. saying this was sort of the whole big, who the right. heck is this girl saying that we need to be responsible and follow police instructions? Like these things should be like common sense, right? It doesn't need to be totally like police should be able to do whatever they want. It doesn't also need to be black people should be able to do whatever they want and they get floored by the police. But this is sort of what we're doing. And I'm sort of like, hey, so what if 
you weren't a jerk and you listened to instructions when you got pulled over, we might be able to get something done. And I find the exact same thing with the feminist movement, right? So it's like, we don't want omnipotent men telling, you know, making women feel inferior, but at the same time, we don't want women saying, I had, you know, a three month affair, nothing's my fault at all, cut me a $6 million check. Um, so I, there's there's something here in the sounding, middle. you're sounding very reasonable and balanced. <laughs> and which that's is, why they hate me. Well, that's not very American. <laughs> Americans have a lot of trouble being two things at once. Right. They just do. Americans are very interesting that way. You can't be pro-Black Lives Matter or just like the idea that you don't want black people to be brutalized. And right. there is a history of that. There's a different experience for black Americans historically with the police, for sure, than guys like me. Fact. I've never thought about it. One cops pull me over. I'm like, "What's up, bro? Hey, you look like me." You know, you know, I'm, I feel protected. Not so with my black friend. I, I've just had too many conversations. Not for me though, as a black woman. Yeah. I, black men. Yeah. Yes. Different. What I'm saying is that 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 there, there is there is you are allowed to be pro police and pro law and order and pro police behaving. Yeah. You know, uh, with accountability and properly, I'm allowed to do both. But right. you know, it's funny with Americans. It, it's it's got to be a dichotomy at all times. It, and I'm like, this, why is it a dichotomy? <laughs> we do this with nutrition. Look, look what happens. Nutrition's a religion, right? So all of a sudden, they come out with a study that, that omega three fatty acids are good for your heart and good for everything else. Well, now we got to put it in bread and everything else. An entire industry is spawned, and people are, you know, you're either a vegan or you're a carnivore. We just yeah, we or get like very we went from extreme. like you know skinny, skinny, skinny models. They're anorexic, and now we've got clinical obesity on full display. Yeah. It's like. Maybe something in the middle. Yeah. I don't know. Like yeah. maybe I don't want to see a clinically obese Balance. person. I also don't want to see an anorexia going with her ribs popping out. Maybe actually both are unhealthy. Like so, I'm here in the middle, and it's it's just not fun because people hate people hate when someone just says, "Hey, maybe a little both of this is at fault, and there's something in the middle that we could carve out." Yeah, that would make a little more sense for. We need you. American society. We need you. T- I say everything. I'm, I'm thank God I'm a prager you, right? I mean, well, they, they just let me do this. Well, you're 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 <laughs> undeniable. You're uncancelable. <laughs> well, I, 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 your husband has that fantastic. There's always there's always that sort of wonderful. He always sounds correct. Of course, he, he sounds like an aristocrat. I've always said it's something uh, fantastic about having that kind uh, of pa. Lovely, you know. Of course, like, he's got blonde hair yeah. and he's tall and he's, yeah, he's handsome. I want to be. I want to be an aristocrat. I want to have yeah. an accent like People that. People always wonder like what can temper me, and that's it. It's his little English accent. Like, and I'm like, oh, all right, uh, he's got a. He's got. You could a rob a bank with that accent. He could walk in and go, "I'm sorry, I, I don't have a gun, but give me all your money, please, Empress. <laughs> please put the money in the bag. Yeah, that, put the that's money. it. Put the money. All the money." <laughs> I could hear him talk all day. I know, I know. I, I gotta like, do another episode with him. I, oh, have you done um, an episode with him? I have. I've done one. I'm gonna go to sleep and then to I, that every, episode. Every, 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 yeah, every woman was like, "Oh, I get why she's married to this guy." And he, <laughs> Come and, on. I don't, even, I don't know if he said anything profound. I think he just was like, "Hey, yeah." I'm well, I didn't know he was your husband. He walked in and he was very quiet and standing there, and I was like, "What's with the blonde hair and the accent?" <laughs> I feel bad about myself. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. That's that's uh, that's exactly why like I that. married I want, him. I, mean, I want hair that I can that can sit in my eyes. <laughs> I'm getting old. Even with makeup. You can pay for that, fortunately. Yeah. Brian, this has been such a fun episode. Honestly, you. Uh, you are so great. Uh, Thank you. So much to offer. I hope people really listen to this and just get a lot out of it. We wrap every episode by allowing you to leave a face message with the world. Okay. Um, the world might answer back, so don't check your voice messages. Um, right. So you've got two minutes on the clock. You're going to look into the camera, and you're going to say whatever is on your heart and on your mind that you want to fall upon the ears of all 7 billion people who watch the Candace Owens show. Are you ready? I'm ready. On your mark. Get set. World, I give you Brian Callen. 
Uh, I would say uh, at 53 years old, the thing I've learned is don't be afraid of ideas and don't be too attached to your ideas. And I'll quote a, uh, uh, the Israeli author Amos Oz who said, the way to beat a bad idea is with a better idea. Don't be afraid to be bested by a better idea, but be open to it. And that's why conversation and dialogue is so crucial. And when you are afraid to hear someone else's voice, you know, even Barack Obama said, I don't know why I said even, but Barack Obama said that when I disagree with someone, I listen to them twice as hard. And I thought that was a really good thing to do. And I think that's very important because sometimes you don't have all the answers. Don't be so attached to your ideas. And the last thing that I, I, I'll say, I love that quote by Amos Haas and I love a quote by Michelangelo, which was criticize by creating. If you have a problem with someone's point of view, instead of taking to Twitter and calling them all kinds of names, how about coming up with a better idea, a better solution, an argument that they can't deny? That's how you change the world because we keep forgetting it's not about destruction. It might also be about persuasion and changing the hearts and minds of the people you disagree with. That's how we evolve. Take your ideas and pit them against somebody else's ideas and stand back and watch and keep reading and keep talking and keep listening and keep an open mind. And that's how you'll make the world a better place, in my opinion. And have faith. Faith is important too. Be attached to mythology. Be attached to things you can't measure. Don't be married only to rationality and to mathematical truths. There are certain things you can't measure. There are certain things that inspire us to laugh and to cry and forget we're human sometimes. That's what great art's about. You forget you're a biological creature, that you have to go to the bathroom, you have to have sex, you have to eat. Sometimes you get in this arrested state of higher being, and that's also very important too. So make space for faith and great art. It will feed your soul. God, that was so good, and it was exactly two minutes. There's no way that really? was not rehearsed. That Is was that just true? so good. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.